Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Wheezy. <laughs> this, this is Dark Adaptation. Yeah, it is. Welcome to episode 33, the Wheezy edition. Yeah. <laughs> Dyson, Dyson couldn't make it, so it's his Wheezy asthmatic alter ego. <laughs> the Wheezy boy. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I hope that we don't sound too sick, but we have been just in, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it was a cold. We still have it a bit, mm -hmm. but it was like two weeks. For yeah. me, it's two weeks. For you, it's been longer. Yes, yeah, it's, it's still going. And I can't even finish a fucking sentence. So I appreciate you being here. I did say I'll do this one alone, but you're here with me yeah. to provide some commentary or, or maybe just loud breathing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was going to fake it, but no, I was actually struggling to breathe for a second. Oh, okay. Well, don't you go dying on me. Don't. I don't need to be doing don't, it. Don't, don't you ever <laughs> tell me how to live my life. Or not live your life. Yes. Particularly that. I hope that you have your inhaler nearby. Inhaler nearby. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we've been really sick. Um... I was testing for COVID. I did all the rapid tests and it was negative each time. I even did the one where you're like, lay back, put your head back and you like put the Q-tip or whatever it is pretty much to your brain. You just, you just tickle your noggin? Oh yeah. Put yeah. it in until it won't go anywhere anymore and like move it around. Yeah. And then after I sneezed 13 times. That was what that was. I yeah. remember hearing you sneezing. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? It was horrible. I think I said bless you once and then it just kept going. And I'm like, <laughs> like nah, mm. now you want attention. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I can't commit to this. It sounds like it's going to be timely. Yeah. All negative. No, I don't have COVID. Just the worst head cold ever. It was shit. And I think we got it from going to Toronto. Mm -hmm. But it was really great because we got to see Bill Burr. Yep. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think that we got this gross sickness from Toronto. So thank you, Toronto. Yeah, way to go, Toronto. Toronto, the six. Toronto. Oh, God. What? It's what it is. <laughs> no, it's just I'm scoffing at the pretentiousness of Toronto. <laughs> hey, look, I'm struggling here, okay? I know, I know, okay. I'll do all the talking eh? anyway. Yeah? Yeah? Eh? <laughs> this is already... <laughs> such a disaster yeah let's just get into it i'm sweaty oh okay you want to get into it yep okay i was just gonna say thanks everyone for being patient with us we didn't put an episode out last week which i wanted to do because at the end of episode 32 with Paige, i had been like oh, i don't know like follow us on instagram if you want to see the schedule because I don't know if we're going to do one, it's a holiday, whatever. But I was going to be, like, all fun and sneaky and be like, oh, my God, guys. Like, I said I wasn't going to do an episode, but here it is. <laughs> and then I, then we got really, really sick. Yeah. And could, and we're dying. And um, I didn't get any time to do it. So 
Sorry about it, but here we are. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Sorry, what? I've been talking a lot. I and huh. I have all my facts. This is not the medium for talking, Brianna. <laughs> fuck. God, this podcast is great, but when are the hosts ever gonna shut the fuck up? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This week we are heading over to UK for the first time. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It's episode. <laughs> <laughs> take two yeah it is crazy okay it's episode 33 and we haven't even been over to the uk yet wild 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 but we're going there for this week <coughs> and we're talking about daft peter aka peter dinsdale aka bruce george peter lee aka <laughs> bruce lee but oh. it's not the bruce lee you're thinking of <clears throat> Is a British serial arsonist and mass murderer. Are you daft? A daft? <laughs> Peter? Nope. Nope. Lisa's last name wasn't File, huh? <laughs> if his first name was Peter, that's funny. Where I was stole that. that. It's what? from the IT I, crowd. Yeah, the IT crowd. Oh, so funny. <laughs> okay, so for this um, this episode, this case, a lot of the information came from an article on TrueTV.com, which was written by a man's named Johnny Sharp, who in turn got a lot of his information from a 1999 book called Hull, Hell, and Fire, which was actually written oh, by the main name. investigator of this case, Superintendent Detective Ron Sager. So, just thought I'd show, show Johnny. Strong name. But that book name is fucking dope. Hull, Hell, and Fire. Yeah, that's fire. What else do you want? Soul three. Is it Brett Hall? No, it's not Brett Hall. It's the city mm. hall. But I'll get into it. Mm. Um, yeah, I wanted to read that book, but I couldn't find it anywhere. No. Okay, Dyson, don't worry. You can just nod at me and I'll know you understand. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> this is the worst ASMR ever. The divorce was your fault. You stole that too. I'll get to you when I'm finished with her. Stop stealing other people's material. Maybe. Or credit it properly. It's from an internet video. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, okay. This will be a two-parter. So everyone, brace yourselves because this is going to be a wild ride. It's going to be full of twists and turns. There's a lot of chaos. And as I should have done probably five or ten minutes ago, we're just going to go right into it. Okay, ready? 34-year-old Edith Hasty is a mother of seven living at 12 Selby Street in the small English port city of Hull. Her three daughters were staying nearby with friends and relatives, so Edith was home with her four sons, Charlie, 15, Paul, 12, Thomas, 9, and Peter, 8. She bids them good night and heads to bed. In the early hours of December 4th, 1979, she woke up with an overwhelming feeling of dread. Call it mother's intuition, but she knew her sons were in danger. Running out of her bedroom and onto the landing, she screams when she sees flames shooting up the stairs. She wakes up 15-year-old Charlie and the two go to the landing to rescue 9-year-old Thomas, who had muscular dystrophy and slept in the same room as Edith. Edith and Charlie were beaten back by the flames and smoke and moved to the front bedroom where a panicking Charlie desperately pushed his mother out the window to save her from the fire. She fell 15 feet onto the concrete path and amazingly only injured her ankle. She urged Charlie to jump too but her eldest son ignored her pleas, 
determined to rescue his other brothers, Paul and Peter, who were in the room that they shared. Charlie made it to them, but ultimately all three boys were trapped by the flames and smoke, which the draft from the open bedroom window had intensified. By the time the alarm was raised and the fire services arrived on scene, Paul, Peter, and Charlie were suffering from burns over 70 to 85% of their bodies. Thomas was rescued with less serious burns. Firemen immediately suspected that the fire was no accident, and Hull's deputy chief of the CID, Detective Superintendent Ronald Sager, was sent to the scene. When Sager arrived at the scene, he was shown two spent matches near the mailbox outside and noted a strong smell of paraffin. Paraffin is like a more refined version of kerosene. Oh. Um, so it's flammable and yeah. can be used as an accelerant. Um, Sager looked around and saw a pool of the flammable liquid paraffin a few feet from the door as if someone had set a can there after pouring its contents through the letter slot. Later that morning, forensic examinations confirmed that the fire had started by the front door after several pints of paraffin had been poured through the letter slot onto the carpet and ignited with lit newspaper. There was no doubt someone had deliberately set the fire and intended to burn down the hasty home. And what had started as an arson inquiry was soon to become an investigation into three murders because over the next two weeks, Paul, Peter, and Charlie all died from their injuries. In 1979, the part of Hull where the fire took place was a poor, run-down area dealing with poverty and high unemployment and crime rates that had been steadily increasing ever since the city's decline as a major fishing port starting in the early 70s. Even with these hardships, Seger was surprised at how reluctant the area's residents were to assist in their arson and murder investigation. As a part of their investigation, the police set up a makeshift incident room in a former police station on Gordon Street to try and pinpoint exactly how the fire spread, and they began talking to residents about the fire and the Hasty family. But again, Sager was really like surprised and shocked at the level of animosity that people in the area were expressing toward the Hasty family, despite the fact that literally three of them just died horribly in yeah. like a devastating fire that's really fucked up it's really dark yeah yeah Zayers yeah. so like trying to talk to all these different people like what like what the fuck is going on over here like literally everyone is like meh you know didn't really like them they probably oh, had mean, it coming you mean the family with the, with the yard gnomes out front yard gnomes <laughs> fuck those guys <laughs> it would be gnomes I like gnomes maybe maybe they just Maybe they just accidentally interviewed everyone from the homeowners association by mistake. <laughs> They're all salty little fucks. I mean, I will get into it and, you know, everyone can form their own opinion. Mm -hmm. The, the Hasties were a family that like, were known to the local police. For example, the father, his name's Tommy. 
He was a habitual petty criminal who at the time of the fire was five months into a jail sentence for burglaring a nearby sports club. And as if that's not bad enough, he did it with Charlie, the, the oldest son. Oh, my God. Who was 15 at the time he passed in the fire. So like five months before then, he was maybe still 15, could have been 14. Yeah. So. You know what? I always find the word petty, petty crime, like <laughs> petty criminal, just so funny to me. Because you're picturing like, someone being petty. I'm picturing them getting arrested and then the cop, when you're in the cop car, just turns to you and says, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Selling <laughs> <Aww. laughs> <laughs> that Tommy should have been parenting and said that to Charlie instead of, hey, son, you want to come burglar? The- burglar? Jesus. Burgle this nearby sports club. <laughs> Burgle it. Burgle it. Hamburglar. Anyway, the younger kids in the Hasty family had become notorious for running rampant around the neighborhood, and I read that they were <laughs> okay. It's not very great. So they were stoning elderly residents, vandalizing local amenities, robbing children of their pocket money, and destroying their neighbors' properties by peeing through the letter slots and pooping on the doorstep. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I mean... Okay, I'm starting to put some pieces together as to why the I mean, neighborhood was a little yeah, miffed exactly. about some shit. Exactly. Why the neighborhood, the people in the neighborhood would be like, you know what? Those kids are little shits. But Let's murder them. But that's the thing. <laughs> like what that's... the... F- you can't just fucking burn someone's house down. Yeah. With them all sleeping inside. Like, if you're that familiar with the family, you know that there's usually seven kids in there. But the four, the sorry, the three daughters just happened to be out of the house. So, like, if you do that on purpose, that's fucked up. Even if these kids are little shits, no one deserves to die. No. So, despite the tragic fire and death of three kids, residents of the neighborhood continued to express animosity and said terrible things about the family, so much so that the local press dubbed the area Street of Hate. <laughs> Sager said, quote, never before have I encountered such hatred and dislike for a family, end quote. So wow. Everyone he talked to was just like, fuck those people. Another reason that the people in the neighborhood might um, not have wanted to talk to police, cooperate with them, whatever, is because many of the Hasty's neighbors were no stranger to the police either. And if they had a problem with someone, it's unlikely that they'd go to the authorities for help. So investigators wondered if one or more of them had some sort of grudge and set the Hasty house on fire as payback, something like that. So they tried to investigate those leads, but there wasn't any suspects that emerged from that theory. And then rumors swirled that Edith herself was responsible for the fire. And it is common police practice to look at those closest to the victims, like when a crime like this is committed. Mm -hmm. And Sager initially suspected the same thing, that the mother was involved, and then wondered if one of the daughters set the fire after like some sort of family argument or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then since she wouldn't have been in the house, she was at relatives and friends, then it could have been like some sort of alibi. But both of these theories were quickly dismissed as well. Okay. 
In the early stages of investigating, the most promising lead surrounded a note that was put into the Hasty's mailbox just a couple months before the fire. And Edith had actually kept it. And when telling the police about this after, she assumed that it would have been like lost in the fire. But miraculously, it was recovered intact from a part of the house that had like escaped the worst of the blaze. Oh, okay. That's fortunate. Mm -hmm. So the note was written on a piece of cardboard from a box of cornflakes <laughs> and read, a family of fucking rubbish. We all hate you. You should all live on an island, Devil's Island. But I'm not kidding. But I promised you a bomb and by hell, I'm not kidding. Why don't you just flit while you've got the chance? If we can't get you out normally, then we'll bastard well bomb you out. And that's too good for you. Signed, Greg. No, love, Greg. Oh, Your like neighbor. From Hull with love, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a very aggressive note. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little aggressive. It, it bypassed passive. Well. Yeah. That's one way to put it. Yeah. I also contemplated saying it in a British accent, but I decided it would be, first of all, terrible because I'm bad at accents, and second of all, terrible because I'm sick, and this, so third of all, I'm bad at accents while being sick, mm. and we would have lost a lot of Yeah, you would have just sound Welsh. Oh, don't offend all of the Welsh listeners. Why? They can do it to us. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> So Sager and his colleagues wondered if the anonymous letter writer had finally carried out their threat, and they went so far as to ask thousands of Hull residents to write out the words of the note to check for handwriting similarities. Okay. They found the handwriting was identical to a frail old lady living nearby who had been terrorized by the Hasty Boys, and Sager was satisfied that she was not the arsonist. I'm not. I want her to be the arsonist. Oh, oh my God. Yeah fucking old agnes across the street she's not even a frail old lady she's just straight up mrs doubtfiring it she's had blood loss since the age of like 10 but it's just a master at hiding it and you know why she's had blood lust it's because the only cereal she eats is cornflakes <laughs> <laughs> keeps her regular and rageful <laughs> <laughs> So just because the arsonist wasn't the author of the note, Edith was certain the killer was a neighbor and likely one who endlessly complained about her children. The funeral for her three sons took place on January 4th, 1980. And when the procession made its way down Selby Street, Edith screamed hysterically at onlookers. It was one of you bastards. One of you in the streets is the murderer. Oh, that's dramatic as fuck. Yeah, but... She's also probably kind of right. Um, yes. Yeah. She is kind of right. And also three of her children are dead. Can you imagine? No, you can't even imagine losing one. No. But you've lost three. Yeah. And all um, three of the boys were buried in one grave at the Northern Cemetery in Hull. Okay. I was just going to say it. <laughs> I would hate being buried in a like grave with several other people. Why you'd be dead? Uh, maybe it's what they wanted. Yeah. Three brothers forever. Yeah. And also maybe like I did say this area in Hull is um it's poor area That's at this true. time. So she probably just couldn't afford to buy three separate plots cuz why are you thinking I'll have to buy plots for my children? Yeah, that's really fucked up. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. And then she, and meanwhile, she's going through this crisis of 
knowing and like thinking and ultimately knowing that the person who set her fucking house on fire and killed her three children is like right there watching this happen, like watching her son's funeral Mm -hmm. and just losing her mind, which you can't really blame her, especially because she's probably going to the police all the time. Like, so how's it going? Yeah. Any closer to figuring out who set my fucking house on fire? How's that police work coming along? And meanwhile, the police are like, oh, let me see. The thing is, no one likes you. And it's very hard to figure out who did this. Imagine this is how she found out no one likes her. Uh, that was a mean thing to say, but... It would be as the least of her worries, probably. You're not very popular. Well, hello. I'm Dom, and I'm the host of Horror House, True Crime, and the Macabre. Horror House, True Crime, and the Macabre is a delectable delight of true crime and the macabre sprinkled with just the right amount of that dry British humour. Horror House can be found anywhere that you listen to podcasts and is on Instagram at Twitter at horrorhouse underscore pod and on Facebook at horrorhousepod. Episodes are released weekly on a Friday or as weekly as studying full-time and working part-time allows. So why don't you make a brew and come join me as I weave tales of horror and discomfort. Until next time, stay spooky. In the absence of any information about the Hasty Fire from the local community, police had only one other lead. An anonymous phone call received at the Central Police Office in Hull the day after the fire. So the caller called in and uh, reported to them that they had seen two men running away from the direction of 12 Selby Street around the same time that the fire had started. And remember, 12 Selby Street is the address of the Hasty family. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't noticed any sign of the fire, but he had seen these two men run to a Rover 2000 uh, that was parked nearby and then be driven away by a third man. So in total, there was three men. Okay. And a Rover 2000 is just some type of car. Okay. I don't know. I've never heard of it before. Maybe it's common in the UK. Yeah, that one's new to me. It's very boxing. Just kind of reminds me of Mr. Bean. (laughs) 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 That's uh, my point of British reference. Mr. Bean. (laughs) Mr. Bean. Fun fact, he was... Uh, when Rowan Atkinson was creating that character, he was going to call it uh, Mr. Cauliflower. Oh, I remember you telling me that. But it was just like kind of chunky, so he settled on Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean's so much better. I'm so glad they made that decision. Me too, and I love how he goes, Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Cauliflower. Yeah, I know. It doesn't work. No. Bean. Brussels sprout. A fucking Brussels sprout. Fuck a Brussels sprout. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, this anonymous call, the police quickly traced the call to a nearby payphone and actually managed to apprehend the informant as he was walking away. And he repeated his story at the police station, giving detailed descriptions of the two men. So the scenario described fit another possible motive that police had been thinking of, which was that the house next door to the Hasties was known to be a base for drug dealers. So police wondered if the arsonist had accidentally set the wrong house on fire, oh. um, intending to target the drug den. 
Oh, um, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So at the time, apparently, because remember, I've never heard of a Rover 2000. Yeah. Um, apparently, it was like a- It's actually, it's actually one of those kid RV cars. Oh, my God. You're welcome for that image. Well, to police at this time, it was a fancy car, and p- police believed a successful drug dealer would own one. Okay. So they were like, oh, well, shit. There, that Rover 2000 that apparently left the area where the fire happened, maybe they are connected. And they also believed the involvement of several men, including a getaway driver, suggested an organized attack. And detectives were keeping in mind what a forensics investigator had said to them at the scene, which was that the fire appeared to be the work of someone with experience of starting fires. So to them organized crime if someone has like this experience yeah then they it, it must be those drug dealers apparently <laughs> the the investigator just comes up to the ash dips his finger licks it and he's like tastes like crime <laughs> <laughs> yes experienced crime experienced crime yeah a- aka an arsonist <laughs> Serial arsonist. So police began speaking to their network of informants among the like local criminal gangs. Mm-hmm. And like typically there is a code of silence amongst criminals. Like you don't want to rat on somebody. You don't want to, yeah. to be an arc. Snitches get stitches. Pretty much. Yeah. But when it's a crime or crimes that involve children, they usually will... Like, make an exception. Yeah, a whole new game. Yeah, they're like, well, someone fucked with a kid? Like, no, I, I'll tell what I know. So the police were hopeful that this would be the situation. Like, well, three children died in a fire, so tell us what you know. But no one gave up anything relevant to their investigation, so. Okay. I mean, maybe they were giving up something, because it just said relevant to the investigation. <laughs> just started <laughs> snitching on everything. <laughs> Cops weren't really specific of what they were looking for. They just knew they were in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) John did it. (laughs) They just start naming everyone with a Rover 2000. You know what? They were probably employing a new uh, interrogation trick. When they they bring them in, they go, what am I in for? And they just go, what do you think you're in for? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't fess up, your grounding's just gonna get worse and worse. Grounded. Yeah. No. <laughs> Seiger and his team were investigating the crime for nearly six months at this point. And they had nothing solid and they began to worry that the anonymous caller's story about the Rover two thousand was not accurate. So the caller said He'd been driving at night with the only light coming from street lamps, yet he was able to identify the color and type of car and the color and style of clothing of the two men, like right down to the buttons on one of the shirts. So he just had perfect descriptions mm-hmm. in completely imperfect environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on top of that, several of the things that he was saying to them didn't tally with the known facts about the fire. So the more that police were talking to this witness, um, the more details he suddenly recalled. So the police dismissed him as an attention seeker Mm -hmm. because they were like, okay, first of all, they were also probably, they were desperate at this point. So they probably (coughs) were 
if they had more leads to go on, I think that this guy would have been dismissed faster mm-hmm. because they had nothing. Then I think they were, it was more um, like easy for them to hold on to this. As yeah, like pursue it because at least then we're pursuing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Instead of being like legitimately like stonewalled. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few months later, this witness made sure to go back to the police to clarify that he wasn't an attention seeker. He was just mistaken and had actually seen the car on a different night. So, oh my God, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, maybe he really did think he saw something, but I thought that was funny that after a few months, he was like, Hey, by the way, I'm not an attention seeker, okay? It was just the wrong night. (laughs) (laughs) Sager and his team were beyond frustrated now. So, aware that their only lead was useless, they were like, Okay, let's take a step back let's take stock of what we have and let's see if we can pursue a different angle just based on the limited things they had you know obtained pretty much just information wise because they didn't have much yeah so during their investigations into the rover 2000s detectives were surveilling a bunch of rover car owners And one of the owners had turned out to be heavily involved with cruising around the city's public restrooms, looking for sexual favors from teenage boys and young men. Okay. So these teenage boys and young men were known locally as rent boys. And they'd hang out in this area offering sexual favors in exchange for money. And at this point... The police knew that the tip about the Rover 2000 fleeing the scene of the fire wasn't accurate, but they did wonder if the arsonist could have some sort of connection with this seedy area. And it did feel like a stretch because there wasn't anything actually connecting the fire to this. I was about to say, that's, it, there's, there's no cause here. It's like, just, there's no bridge. Exactly. It's so, just bullying it downtrodden community now well investigating it well yeah okay because there was like there obviously is just vulnerable people down there trying to make money Mm -hmm. but there is also the people who are taking advantage of the vulnerable people right yeah for these favors uh, quote unquote so (laughs) they were like well i mean it is kind of a shady area anyway we have nothing else to go to let's just check it out just right. because we literally have nothing. And yeah, so it was a stretch, but um, it had been, remember, it's June 1980. So it had been six months that they have really nothing to show for their mm-hmm. investigations. And Sager's superiors wanted to close the case to, you know, divert manpower elsewhere and just... Save face. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on, like, just close it, Okay. We... Just, cl- just close it. Go over down to that shitty community over there and pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop. I won't pick on them anymore. Yeah. So it was just like a latch, a last ditch effort for Sager. Yeah. Sager and his team decided to interview locals who were known to frequent the same public restrooms as the Rover car driver that they followed. So among those interviewed was 19 year old Bruce P- Bruce George Peter Lee. You know, go Bruce right. Lee, who uh, said he not only knew Charlie Hasty, but had been involved in, quote, indecent behavior with him. So this provided a definite connection between the eldest Hasty boy and the city's rent boys. 
So it was decided that several possible suspects would be brought in for questioning and Sager would accuse each one of them in turn in hope that the real killer would confess. Um. In a 2002 interview, Sager admitted that it was a bluff and it wasn't, you know, that he, he, he was just desperate. Um, but it was something that he found necessary to do because the investigation into the Selby Street fire had led him to the realization that there had been a series of fire deaths over the past six years that had been recorded as accidental. Mm-hmm. But he was like he suspected and was pretty certain that arson was involved and they weren't all accidental. There was a serial arsonist out there and he wanted to find the perpetrator. Okay. Um, so yeah, he did acknowledge like, no, yeah, I know, I know how it looks. Trust me. Yeah. But, we, but, but it, we were desperate. Yeah. Okay. So when Bruce Lee was brought in, Sager read him his rights and wasted no time. And he was like, Bruce, I'll be quite blunt with you. I think that you started the fire at the hasty house and that indecency with Charlie was probably the cause of it all somehow. And right. if someone said that to me, I would be like, I would like a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, immediately. I'd be like, what the fuck? But Lee said, I didn't mean to kill them. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right away. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the fucking <laughs> cop's face looked like? He in that interview he he said that he was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Immediately. And he probably had to turn around <laughs> and like walk out the room cuz he's probably just like, "What the flying fuck?" <laughs> right whoa, away. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> no hesitation yeah so he's like i didn't mean to kill them and then he even went on to explain that he had set the fire to get back at charlie who had continually demanded money from lee after quote mucking about and wanking in that oh that is distinctly <laughs> british <laughs> your face mucking about and wanking in that I can't really. Sorry, it's bad, guys. <laughs> so Hasty also threatened to tell the police about their indecency if Lee didn't keep giving him money. So he was like extorting them, pretty much. Um, extorting, blackmailing, kind of, right? Yeah, I don't really don't know the di- the difference. <laughs> I'm like, are, are you have hiccups? Are you developing a stutter? No, I was oh, not no, getting you're oxygen. Asthmatic. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there was also another motive. So on top of this mucking about and wanking and that, uh, Lee had become obsessed with Charlie's 16-year-old sister, Angie. And he was like repeatedly asking her out. He's like, come on, be my girlfriend. And Angie's like, no, I think you're really annoying and I just like to make fun of you. Mm -hmm. And was like repeatedly rejecting him. And Sager said, quote, he was not a normal young man. He was deformed. His right arm and right leg were deformed. He had a limp. He had a habit of holding his right arm across his chest. He was poorly dressed. He was clearly undernourished. And on first impression, one had to feel sorry for him. He was just a wreck. Yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, woof. Yeah. So in the interview, Lee uh, recalled the night of the fire. And he said, quote, one night I was thinking... I'm going to go to Charlie's house and set it on fire. Give him a, a real frightener. <laughs> One night I was thinking. One night I was thinking. I'm going to go to Charlie's house and light it up. Give him a real frightener. 
He went on to tell Sager how he took a container full of paraffin and stood in the shadows underneath the motorway flyover, which is like a highway overpass. Okay, Trust thank me, you. I had to Google yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, what is a motorway God, flyover? Jesus Christ, fucking! A <laughs> They're flat, just sitting in flashlight. Can pass me a torch, like a torch. cigarette. Oh, light a fag. Like motorway hot, flyover. Motorway flyover. <laughs> what the fuck? Chips. Crisps. Crisps. Well, crisps, crisps are chips. Yeah. Chips are fries. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> are you having a giggle, mate? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm gonna hide. He was hidden in the shadows underneath the motorway flyover until it it quote went real quiet. Which is creepy to it imagine creep- him in the shadows. I, yeah, he's lurking. He's lurking. Yeah. And I was I don't know if you uh I think you were see, like seeing me on like. A, on google maps like trying to figure out where the hell i was going on google maps because i didn't see that i was trying to see this address 12 selby Mm -hmm. to see if a motorway flyover is what i thought it was yeah so i'm like on street view on google maps just checking is there like a over highway overpass and there is it's like right at the this part of selby street kind of as a bend Mm -hmm. and where that bend is the overpass kind of follows it so he was like just lingering over there and there's an overpass because there's um train tracks so okay so he's also like just creeping around the train tracks oh that i thought there was no way to make it creepier but somehow putting him around train tracks really does make it freaky yeah yeah until it went until it quote went real quiet like ew ew bruce lee (laughs) shouldn't have (laughs) that name (laughs) uh he then described in detail to sager how he waited for it to get quiet and he he was walking up the path toward the hasty house he poured the paraffin through the letter slot and then after two failed attempts to light matches lit a piece of newspaper and pushed it through the letter slot to set the paraffin on fire so he's a bit of a fucking idiot too (laughs) well yeah so this matched up with what they saw at the scene. There was the newspaper, there was those two spent matches, mm-hmm. and the paraffin that was like messily left everywhere. Yeah. So, and that's not details that were released. Like mm-hmm. that's just what Bruce said, how he lit this fire. Yeah. So it just proves that he did it. Mm-hmm. So the details that um, he just gave convinced <laughs> Sager that the arsonist and murderer had been found. But what they didn't know at this point was that this was going to be Lee's first confession. Oh, that's why he was holding out. When Hull residents heard that the police had arrested a young man named Bruce George Peter Lee, no one really recognized the name. One of these people was a woman named Rosabel Fenton, who was closely following developments in the case because a year earlier, in June 1979, her family was involved in a house fire which she had always believed was started deliberately. A neighbor had been, so I'm just going to tell you about the fire Mm -hmm. 
that mm-hmm. uh, Rosabelle experienced. Right. A neighbor had been over one evening, and after they left her house, Rosabelle was getting ready for bed, and then she saw this figure like moving through the window of her front door. Ew. And he would like move away when Rosabelle looked at him. So she thought she even saw this person's like hand poking through the letter slot. But apparently she wasn't alarmed because she thought she recognized this man as Daft Peter, who was this dude that lived nearby at the time. And he was seen as this, like, they they say, uh, like a halfwit, like a harmless halfwit. Okay. And that he's just like, was kind of weird. Like, he's just this weirdo kid that people were just like, oh, whatever. Like, that's just Daft Peter. Okay. So she just went to bed, but she was soon woken by people shouting that there was a fire. She immediately ran to her daughter's bedroom, seven-year-old Samantha, but there was so much smoke that they struggled to find a way out of the house. Uh, Rosabelle and Samantha had to lie in the corner of the living room, hoping that help would arrive in time, which thankfully it did. So they were both rescued, but they had severe burns. Okay. Uh, Rosabelle actually had to spend several months in the hospital because she was super pregnant at the time oh. of the fire, and she tragically lost her baby. Jesus Christ. So she was too sick and just devastated. Um, and she didn't end up making a witness statement to the police. Mm-hmm. And there was no inquest because the police said the cause of the fire was from a cigarette that the visiting neighbor had dropped on the carpet before leaving. So again, this was just some sort of freak accident fire. And Rosabelle's sighting of Daft Peter went unreported. Okay. So it was only when she saw a picture of this Bruce Lee guy in the paper that she realized that he and Daft Peter were actually the same person. Mm-hmm. So I think you, a little bit ago you were like, like, why? He needs a better name. Like, why Bruce Lee? Um, in 1979, uh, not long before he lit the Hasty House on fire um his mother married a dude whose surname was lee so peter dinsdale daft peter Mm -hmm. took on the same last name but decided to go a step further and change his first name as well to make like a nod to his kung fu hero bruce lee oh my fucking god yeah so he he literally changed his name to bruce lee yeah (laughs) what a a winner (laughs) So yeah, after reading this article in the paper, Rosabelle called the police and told them of her suspicion that Daft Peter and George Lee, George Lee, Bruce Lee, it's hard. My brain is even like, don't say Bruce Lee. That's very offensive to Bruce Lee. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Bruce. You're not the amazing Bruce Lee. Just weirdo fucking pyromaniac Bruce Lee. (laughs) So, yes, anyway, so Rosabelle calls the police and told them of her suspicion that Daft Peter and Bruce Lee are the same person. And when the police go to Lee, like, yeah, so we got this tip that says you set this house on fire. And Lee admits that he did. He broke into the house and he set it on fire. And when Sager is like, okay, but Why? Uh, he's like, I just did it. Someone I knew didn't really like her, so I just did it. 
What the fuck? And Sager's like pressing him further, like, what the fuck are you talking about? You just did it. Like, someone didn't like her, so you just lit her house on fire? Yeah. And he's like, well, I like fires. I do. I like fires. Okay. <laughs> That's fucked. Yep. And then so, it went quiet. Real quiet. Like quiet. But like quiet. <laughs> to the point where I lurked a little. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anyone will understand what we're doing. I hope so. Yeah, it's a little Easter egg for you. So Sager is like, okay, you like fires. So are you like a fire starter? Are you a habitual fire starter who, you know, maybe even killed other people? Because you literally just killed three people in a, in a fire. And again, he's he really is just leaning on this suspicion that he has that this all of these accidental fires are a work of a serial arsonist and after like this long pause lee just goes yes you are right i killed a little baby once <laughs> this guy's fucked he's disturbed he's disturbing too <laughs> jesus christ don't hey don't your asthma get the best of you <laughs> hold, hold me back okay wheezy <coughs> stay with us so Sager investigated this and found that such a fire had occurred three years before on january 2nd 1977 and in this fire six-month-old katrina thacker died in the blaze but a suspect was never named so him going mm -hmm, yeah i actually do set a lot of fires and i even killed a baby once mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> So about this fire, um, Karen Fraser's ex-husband, Pete Thacker, was visiting when the fire started. Karen and Pete managed to rescue Karen's two- and three-year-old daughters with the help of firefighters, but baby Katrina was not saved. Um, an inquest later concluded that a spark from the open fire must have started the house fire. The fact that the then 16-year-old Lee had been among the onlookers as the fire was being put out, was not noted at the time. Something else that was not noted was the fact that the fire had spread so fast. This fire spread like that, indicating that an, an accelerant was likely used. A spark from like the a spark from like the open fire just hitting some furniture, which they suspected was like a sofa or something. Yeah. Uh, it could not have caused the blaze to just spread as fast as it did. But, but again, this was a fire that was chalked up as accidental. So um, and then it later emerged that Lee had been a frequent visitor to Pete Backer's pigeon loft, often <laughs> outstaying as welcome or just walking into his house uninvited. The pigeons don't want to see you anymore. They're, the pigeons are probably like, please get him away from me. He's scary. Yeah. So, yeah, he just kept showing up uninvited. He just walked into Pete's house, um, leading to Pete giving Lee, <coughs> quote, a clip around the ear um, <laughs> on one of these occasions yeah. uh, that he just was walking into his house. And this clip around the ear was just um, like days before the fire. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, this is what Lee confessed to that he did said this house on fire and kill baby Katrina. And after confessing to this one, he said that he'd set other fires too. So at this point, which is probably, I mean, good, but he's, 
it had confessed to quite a few fires. And this is when the police were like, okay, you know what? You, uh, you're arrested. And <laughs> Immediate, right away. Uh, right away. You are, you're arrested and we are remanding you to pr- a prison in Leeds. So he's in custody and Sager went to visit him. And then Lee told him about more fatal fires. He said that uh, there was a boy who went to his school that he killed in a house fire a few years prior. He also claimed responsibility for setting a retirement home on fire in 1977, which killed 11 men and injured six other people. They were unnamed, so I'm not sure, but (coughs) killed 11 men in one fire. And remember, that's that's fucking ridiculous. At this point, confessing to like five fires, I believe. Hasty, uh, Fenton, Thacker, the boy he went to school with, and this retirement home. Yeah. So that's five fires that he's confessed to. Yep. We have 11 men killed in the retirement home. Baby Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, no one died in the Fenton fire, but uh, three boys in the Hasty fire. Yep. So, like, 15? 15 yep. people are dead. Yep. In, and he's arrested and in prison. He's 19 years old. He's a child still. Yeah. He's done a lot of fucking work mm-hmm. in advance. So Sager decided to test if Lee was telling the truth. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, Lee, you're like, I literally just went over five. He's confessed to five arsons and 15 murders and he's 19 years old. So Sager's like, you know what? We got to do a little bit of work here because uh, our investigation was literally giving us nothing. And in a matter of like a day, you are giving us a lot. Yeah, like all of it. Yeah, so he's like, you know what? I'm going to put you in my police car. We're going to drive around Hull, and you are going to point out to me where these supposed arson attacks happened. And that is where we will leave it. I'm not sure what just possessed my body right there. That's where we're going to leave it for part one. (laughs) Ta-ta. Uh, my throat is like, ah. I kind of like <laughs> hope that I have like a like sexy Jennifer Tilly thing going on, but I probably am just sounding really nasally, like I have a pocket protector. No, just a hot Jennifer Tilly. Okay. What do I sound like? <laughs> <laughs> like someone left a window open. <laughs> Does it remind you of standing next to the moor? <laughs> the moor. <laughs> Well, I thought I'd bring it back yeah. to Britain again. No, it's funny too because like I don't drink tea that often because but because we're sick, we're both drinking tea. <laughs> yeah, which like I've never seen you drink tea. <laughs> That's how you know I'm on the ropes. Yeah, so we're like over in the Britain, Britain, <coughs> the Britain, <laughs> over in the Britain. We're over in the Britain where Mister Bean lives. <laughs> <laughs> I was making fun of myself. But yeah, we're drinking tea. Yeah. Um. We had the promo for Horror horror House. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Dom. Horror House. Yeah. Who is from the UK. Mm-hmm. We're drinking. We're drinking tea. I think I said that already like eight times. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Um, I just want to say thanks for being patient with us. We're a little bit like, I don't know, out of it. Yeah. I'm sick. I've been on a lot of Tylenol cold medicine. <laughs> I just I just drink it for fun now. <laughs> but they were pills. <laughs> Crush them up, you know. A little yellow. 
different. <laughs> they really were yellow. And when, as soon as we opened them, and I, because you were sick before me, and I was like, okay, don't look. And I just like put them in your hand, and you were like, oh, little yellow, different. Yep. Which in Wayne's world, is it even Tylenol? Isn't it like Advil? <coughs> uh, uh. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that was just my body screaming. You're like, well, my. I'm looking. Because it matters to me. Newprint? Oh, it's Newprint. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I forgot. I don't know. Oh, I'm like, hey, do you want to watch the video? LOL, no, because my speakers are fucking broken on my computer. <laughs> Stupid shit. Yeah. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for being patient with us. We're a little slap happy. We haven't really seen anybody for like two weeks except each other. And it's probably apparent. But uh, thank you so much for joining us for part one of... Our first UK episode, which is still crazy to me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Daft Peter, mass murderer and serial arsonist. Uh, next week, we'll discuss this, you know, trip around town that Sager was, is taking uh, Bruce Lee on. I'll tell you more about Bruce Lee and his seemingly never-ending trail of destruction. And then we'll wrap it all up by talking about his convictions and his appeals and... Yeah, it'll, that'll be part two. Yeah. In the meantime, just uh, watch the mail slot near your uh, door. And if you see a little Weird. malnourished hand kind of <laughs> sticking in there in the middle of the night, check it out at least. Yeah, it might not be innocent. Uh, it probably isn't because if it's not, then it's the weird guy in Scary Movie 2. Take my strong. Yeah, who ruins your mashed potatoes. <laughs> so And the turkey. And in just everyone's day. Yeah. He ruins the whole day. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I my throat hurts. We gotta. Yeah. Let's wrap this all up. And uh, I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> follow us on Instagram to see pictures related to the case. You could check out the sources we used for this episode by visiting our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. Mm -hmm. And while you are there, you can buy a beautiful embroidered patch for the low low price of fourteen dollars plus free shipping. Yeah. No cost shipping. <laughs> None. <laughs> None. Hand deliver it to you. Actually, we go. We use one of Pete's pigeons and send it over. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't already, can you guys just like rate the show five stars, please? <laughs> <laughs> like, please, like, and subscribe, man, because like it means a lot. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you next week for part two. Okay, catch you on the dark side. Bye. Good. reminds me of the, the meme I, I put it in our story um oh i went to the mcdonald's drive through and the employee said that he didn't know who grimace was and my mind just spiraled and panicked and i just screamed he fucking works here <laughs> <laughs>
bad Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Do you even know what that means? The way you just said. I don't know. Didn't they all hate this one guy and light his house on fire? <laughs> he was a child molester. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. All right. <laughs> So in the early, was that sound gross? <laughs> oh, I didn't even hear it. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, okay, well, could we now just, could you just get rid of it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 